Welcome to episode 59 of the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar, Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and I will be discussing, well, I guess we're going to discuss addiction today and, and how it really shrinks your world. Yeah, shrinks your world, limits your life. Um, we offer two ways to work privately with one of us or another Freedom Model instructor. That's at our beautiful St. Jude Retreat here, where we are, and also via Zoom with our at-home Freedom Model private instruction program. You can get information about our retreat at SoberForever.net and TheFreedomModel.org and about our at-home private instruction at LeaveAddictionBehind.com. All right, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about what happens when when you focus on one specific activity <laughs> in your life, yeah. which is using drugs or drinking. Yeah. So I always talk about this in terms of like a social circle, a geographical circle, mm-hmm. and a, a circle of activities. I know that doesn't necessarily make sense. <laughs> but no, it does. <laughs> circle it does. of activities. Yeah. And, um, you know, if I think that about when I was first using drugs... And using them a lot, partying, I'm not really having a problem, but using a lot. Um, I was going to school in Philadelphia. I had all kinds of friends around there. I still have my friends from home back in Massachusetts. I was very engaged with my family back in Massachusetts still. Family parties and visits and all sorts of things, going skiing together activities. And um, And then I'm skiing up in Vermont, or I'm going to visit the city to visit New York, right? And my geographical circle is like the Northeast. It's massive. Right. Right? And you get a few years down the road, once I started to really have a problem with heroin, and my geographical circle, I, I it shrunk down to this little tiny circle around Springfield and Holyoke, Massachusetts. Right. You know, this little 20, 30 mile range within which I would travel and forget going up to Vermont to snowboard or ski. I got to have enough heroin to do that. That's too far away. I got to get up tomorrow and hustle for heroin. Right. Right. You know, forget going on a vacation when I'm at the methadone clinic. Right. Because now that's such a rigmarole to try to set up going getting methadone i did it once when we went to las vegas and it was a nightmare to make it happen right like so where you know and i let's the geographical circle gets shrunken then as well over time the friend circle had gotten shrunken to where it was all kinds of people all kinds of family when you're doing drugs all the time you don't want to see your family. You don't want them to catch on, right? Yep. You're doing a drug like heroin, and all of a sudden the people that are drinkers and anti-heroin, yeah. you know, they don't want to be around you, yeah. right? And you really don't want to be around them. You're out scoring drugs, ultimately, right. Right? right? And then it just ends up a couple of heroin-using friends is about all I spend my time with, Right. And my therapists and counselors. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Because right? Yes. I'm, I'm wrapped up in it. So the, so the social circle is crushed down to a handful of people from dozens of people that I was regularly in contact with, you know? 
even if, if if that was work and whatever else it was, it's it's down. I'm interacting with next to nobody. And then we get to my circle of activities. I mean, that's obvious. I used to we used to drive around. Me and my buddies would go see any hip hop show, go to any rave, right? Not doing that no more. If I, <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I got to get my heroin every day. And, uh, and I'm more obsessed with getting high than the music. And I don't care about the music. I still have music in my life. still have my CDs. But, you know, we're not going out to do those things. Um, I'm not going out snowboarding. Um, I, I'm not trusted to do things with my family. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even even the, I remember one time, and this was when I was sober, but I was on methadone. My sister came by frantically looking for a babysitter for her kids that I had babysat before with no problem. Where's mom? I need mom to. And, and I'm like, oh my god! And she's like, and she's acting like she needs to go do something, and somebody needs to take care of the kids. I'm like, uh, you know, I can. And she doesn't even respond to that. All right, she's she's like, like, I gotta find mom. Blah blah. You know, you know, just like. So now I can't even babysit the kids. Right. I don't know. You know, like, so whatever activities there were in my life, and and a lot of that as well was pursuing goals. You know, like there was no goal pursuit. There was no snowboarding. There was no going down to the swimming hole. There was just hustling up money and scoring heroin. So so each one of these circles, the activity circle, the social circle, the geographical circle, all got shrunk down to like a tiny point. Did you ever, was was the movie in the 80s, St. Elmo's Fire? Yes, I I remember that. Was that with, uh, oh God. It was with that whole, the Brat Pack. Yes, yes. Judd something. Yes, Judd. Nelson? Nelson, yeah. But who's, oh God, I can't think of it. Anyway. He plays the sax in the, in the in the movie, but he ends up going back to college, and he's playing football in the back. It's one of the last scenes, and everybody else is matriculating out of college, and he's going back to college because he wants it to be like it was the freshman year. Yeah, and they're playing football at the frat, and he's like, he's out of college, like he's done. Yeah, his I think years. they were like law school. I think they were almost in graduate Rob school. Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe. And then, and then they looked at him and he's all excited because he's a part of the thing at the frat again. And, and they're like, God, it's so good to have you here. I forget what his name was in the movie. And they're like, we needed somebody to score us drugs, man. And they, and you just see his face fall and he's like, you know, that's what he's been relegated to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because everybody else moved on. And that was the story of my life. I can remember having a lot of fun for like four years partying with everybody, my family members and this whole crew of people. And then everybody started to slowly disperse and move on with their lives. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, please, can we just keep it the way it was for those first four years? <laughs> yeah. So the last two years. And then I, I remember when it really hit me one day. I showed up at my sister's house thinking, that this was like it was years ago and they're out in the in the barn working on a job okay they're literally working on their their fabricators and so they're working on a job i show up and i'm like get any beer like like a middle of a day in the week right <laughs> and they look at me they're like there's some in the fridge so i go in i drink the entire refrigerator dry i leave the empties on their kitchen table and i leave and <laughs> and, and i know as i was driving away i was like that wasn't much of a party you know, that wasn't yeah, much that fun. wasn't any fun. Yeah, that was. And then I felt like a heel. I felt like a fool. Yeah. And that's when I was like, oh, they've moved on. 
I haven't moved on. And, and then I kind of, that was the beginning of my descent into that small world you're talking about. I never left it. Yeah. yeah. Like my world from the time I started drinking to the time I ended never changed. It was just this, you know, Groundhog Day. Yeah. It does become that way. For me, it was when I left college. I had failed out of college, but I went back and lived with my housemates. And and I was I always thought that I was about the same as them, that I was using the same as they were, and that some people were a little worse than me, some people weren't as bad. And and I can remember, I so I they were all in their senior year of college. I was going to a community college because I had failed out the year before and working at a grocery store. And uh, and I ended up leaving at, at Christmas time and, and not going back the next semester. And But I did go back when they were all graduating. And so they're all graduating from college. And I hadn't graduated and I really had like... As that's when I realized, I'm like, why couldn't it just be like it was? Yeah. Like, they were all moving on with their lives. And so I spent the next year pretty much isolated. Like, all my friends were moving on, getting married, going on to their careers. Even the people at home, there was nobody left at home to party with. So I can remember I spent almost every single night at a local dive bar sitting by myself at the bar no it was not it was the village tavern the vt we call it it was up the street from my mother's house so i didn't i didn't have to drive because i would whenever i would drive i would our driveway was on a hill so and my mother rented the people downstairs were so sweet and she was renting from them and when i would pull in i had a a stick shift so i would never remember to put it in gear and the car would roll and hit the house (laughs) and like kept hitting the house (laughs) and it was a little dense along there oh my god so so she was like you're not gonna drive are you and so i was really like stuck i it was my world got so tiny i mean it it was just me and the vt and a couple bar flies (laughs) there and i was i yeah that was that was pretty pretty sad it was pretty sad and i used to love working out um i wasn't i think i was running once in a while um i still had a job but even then i was drinking throughout the day on the job nobody really talked to me um and uh, my family i just felt so judged yeah by everyone so i made my world small Mm -hmm. yeah you know because because you you can't behave that way in the real world (laughs) apparently not (laughs) yeah so everything shrinks and i think part of it is you Get, realistically, some of those other options get taken away by by yeah. the behavior, you know, yes. bit, right? And but then also you don't think other have other options, or you don't want to engage in those other options. Yeah. And and you get to a point where you know all of a sudden you start to realize there's there's nothing but me and this drug. Yeah. And um, yeah. and so, you know, I, when I quit. It was opening up each one of those circles. Yeah. Quickly. Completely opening them up. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think within the the first year after I quit, um, I went to Killington with my mom skiing. I went to Florida, and I went to um, see all these musical acts in Miami that I wanted to see. 
So there's the geography blew like all up. of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Because you're free because you're not chained to like the drug house. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, which um, is just an awful, awful. And I had friends that we would go up to the swimming hole at Hadley Falls, and we would jump off this bridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I jumped um, off that bridge. It's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> and I told you I jumped in the waterfall, which was really terrifying. Um, but but that would that's something I used to love to do was to go to a swimming hole. So now I'm doing things like that, or going on a hike. Yep. Right. Yeah. And um, and I'm involved with more people I can be in any kind of a crowd because I'm not single-minded right anymore it's not just me and a drug and um and then that opened up my world if if you're not chasing a drug every day wow you get to chase goals and dreams and I went back to school and uh I started learning uh film and television production and I got jobs doing that and I started learning theater and I was on stage all the time, and I got acting jobs, and, I, and just what whatever it is, it all like opened up. And to me, that's the thing. Um, that's maybe one of the biggest things a person who's still struggling, who's on the verge, they hate what they're doing, is maybe needs to be reminded of is the absolute great thing about quitting and quitting. Hands down, full bore, abstinence quitting. Okay, like let me. Can I wait, jump in? Yeah, I, I, I quit too, and I had the a similar experience. My my situation was obviously different, right? Because my family disowned me. Yeah, and I was out in the street, right? But I was, but I had a brother, my brother Pete, who kind of took me under his wing, let me stay at his apartment occasionally and for periods of time, and then Bob. Michelle's husband, he was my best friend, so I'd stay at his apartment. So I kind of eked out this 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 world. And it was a rough world, but it was away from my hometown. And that was a huge, huge step for me. Because what that hometown represented was the land of broken dreams, man. <laughs> it was like a small-town America, post-industrial little town of just small-minded people. I just was... I was in bad shape there. And getting out was huge, but then I got sucked into recovery. And I want to make a point about this for the listeners because you can easily abstain, right? And then you get pulled into the subculture of recovery and your dreams will die again. Yeah. Right, because you, know? you, you have so, another so you get, single-minded thing yes, going on. Yeah. Yes, so it's important, I think, when you when you decide to abstain, to read the freedom model so you know that you don't have to be a part of that recovery subculture and get trapped there too. Yeah. And then just live your dreams. Live. Just try stuff. We call yeah. it swinging the bat. You know, you're going to hit some home runs, you're going to hit some base, and you're going to yeah. strike out on some things. You're just going to experiment in life. Yeah. I mean, one of, one of the things, biggest things, funniest things for me is, I started uh, doing these weekly dinners at a church. I would go clean dishes with these old women. And I had a blast. Like, it was so much fun. You know, they flirt with you. They grab your ass. (laughs) And, uh, and good church women. It was just like another, like, I couldn't imagine the previous me doing that. So I was like in any crowd. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and I went to my raves, and that made people nervous. But I didn't feel like I had to like ingest tons of drugs. I went totally sober, and I just enjoyed the music. I could be in that crowd, and and I also realized once I did that that oh, 
not everybody is wasted out of their mind. That's that's that, kind of only what I saw while I was there. Yeah. Um, because that was what I that was where my mind that's was. That's right. We we, um, we had the same experience, Michelle and I, mm-hmm. that summer had the same experience of going to all the shows at SPAC. Yeah. Yes. You know, the with this whole crowd of people. That's when we left recovery. Yeah. You know, and we said, we're going to go do this. They didn't mean yeah. to cut you off, but... No, yeah. it's right. exact experience. So, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine when you everything is shrunken down to just you and this drug, but what you need to be told, what I need to tell you is... These circles, your social, your activity, your geographical circle, the whole thing, your whole world can open up in your range of motion and options and friendships and all can grow. That is the main benefit. And now, while I'm doing it, while I'm saying this now, I think sometimes that's what people are scared of. Well, it's, it's very easy to have a singular focus. That, that's I was going to bring that up, actually. Because yeah. I think that I was really, really intimidated because I was kind of a... Uh, without booze, because I felt booze gave me courage. I had that, right. that myth sort of impregnated into me. Um I was kind of a fish out of water for a little while. And my first couple of years, barring the fact that they stuck me in treatment and all that kind of crap, um, I still struggled. So it was a little bit easier for me to get caught in the recovery trap because now I was just converting this party life into something that I knew still. Mm-hmm. It's the same crowd. Yeah. It's just, it's you know. Exactly right. And so, so I was able to kind of make recovery work and it was attractive because it was easier than going out and trying yeah, and things. living. That's right. But then something happened. There was that weird period we had, Michelle, you, me, and that whole crowd, um, where they were all kind of leaving recovery and we were trying to figure out how do all these young people, we were the young yeah. ones, remember, um, how, do we, how do we associate with each other without this recovery thing? Right. And we just started having fun. And that's what I, I realized is you, you get a project. If you get a project with two other people, and it might be climbing a mountain, it might be breaking up a sidewalk to put a new sidewalk in. I can remember these weird things that I would come up with. Mm-hmm. And if you did it together, you'd become friends with at least one of them. Yes. Yeah. It, it would just happen. And that's like, I was like, I can do this. I can do this. So it's like yeah. going to the church and just trying that with the, with the old ladies, right? Yeah. You make friends. Well, yeah. that's, I, I wanted to, that's what I wanted to bring up with when... We talk about your world gets very small, where you're focused on this one activity, this one substance, this one behavior. And that's why the 12-step groups seem so attractive. Yeah. And that's why people get sucked in so quickly because you're shifting from that one focus to another one focus which is my recovery. Yeah. And and it's all about me still. And and I don't my experience in that world was pretty lonely as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was still isolated from my family. I was still isolated from my old friends who were yeah. friends. Um and and I so and I didn't really feel like I fit in with most of the recovery people either. It was just a well, I had the added bonus that my father was a sort of guru of sorts. So it, it kind of made me like, I don't know, it, it just was, a lot of people didn't like my dad. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so it was a little bit rough. Um, but but it, 
so that's why, so anybody that's listening that is trying to leave AA, that's like, how did I get sucked in for 30 years or 10 years or even 10 months? Um, that is how. That is how, because you were already living that life. Oh, that's... Mm-hmm. Oh, Mr. <laughs> Silence Your Phone. <laughs> we're going to leave that in there, just so he can remember it. So... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that's that's how easily it is that you got sucked into that life because it, you're really just it was an easy switch and you're still with the same people, and 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 I what I didn't like was a lot of people like although you're using friends, they were just using you. They were not real friends. Like a oh, lot yeah. of people in the rooms would talk that way, and then you find out once you leave AA. Um, that a lot of those people were the same way because yeah. they were the same. They were the same person they were when they were using. They just shifted it to now this is my thing. Yeah. Um, so so if you have, if you've quit whatever you're doing and you're abstaining and your world didn't get bigger, you're yeah. doing it wrong. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. really, you're you know the the purpose. I I well, have, and that's why most people who stick in that sort of realm of doing things are the constant, you know, quote-unquote relapsers, you, yeah. you know, because um, if you're going to have a singular focus, it, it, it better be something satisfying. And, and, and uh, you know, a lot of them are still hung up on on drugs yeah. and, and feeling deprived of it, and there's not a lot satisfying about... Recovery. That's recovery. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's like all what the you're recovery, not. When we say that to the listener, we mean the recovery lifestyle and mindset, which is thinking every day... I'm fragile. Something might push me over the edge. I got to put constant. I got to hide out over here. Work and vigilance yeah. into that. That's what I mean by recovery. And I'm, and you're always defining by what you're not, I mean, yeah, not yeah. where you're going, how you're moving on, what's your goal. None of that is really a part of it. It's yeah. all you can't go. Don't go thinking, projecting into the future. Yeah. Yeah. One foot in the past, one foot in the future. You're shitting on today. Oh, Steve. I always heard pissing. I always heard pissing all yeah. the time. I suppose it depends on if your knees are bent. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know. That's exactly the point. How insane it is. Uh. So I, I was, I had this woman, and I brought her to a couple meetings, and I would, I want to say, I was like. I was like 25. I think I was married. I didn't have kids yet. And, uh, and I was bringing her I was bringing her to this meeting. And I said, okay, you're going to come to the meeting tomorrow night? And she looked at me and she goes, no. <laughs> right? Like, she's just like, no. She's like, I have kids. I have a job. She's like, I didn't quit drinking so that I could be at meetings every night. That's insane. <laughs> and I, she I so stopped. Right. She was right. I stopped. I thought about it. I go, that's exactly right. I'm like, yeah, no. She goes, do you think I even need to go to meetings? I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't know. People, I told, I can remember telling someone else at the meetings about that. and like, oh, you did that wrong. And I'm like, she wants to just be a mom to her kids. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, yeah. you know, so that's, and I do remember when it brought back the memory was my dad went to AA and we literally never saw him for like two years. Oh, yeah. I remember my mother saying that. I remember my sisters. I have seven older sisters, and sisters need a mom. Yeah. You know? I mean, boys can kind of live without their mother, and I think. girls better. need a dad. Yeah. And and the my sisters were hurt. I mean, mm-hmm. deeply, deeply disturbed 
at the fact that my mother would be there and they would need my mom. You yeah. know, as teenagers, they needed my mom. And I was, as the youngest, looking up at this, and she would be like, my recovery is number one. You don't want me drunk, do you? And I remember one of my sisters, I won't say who, she was like, I would rather you were drunk. You were a better mom. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. What, what, I remember where thinking that about going? my dad. Yeah. I remember thinking that. He was he was a lot more fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was around. He seemed more affectionate and kind and... You know, once he got sober, it was it was all about AA. It was all about the AA people, and um, and it's really interesting because as much as he was drinking every day, he was home. Yeah. You know, and he wasn't always violent. He wasn't always angry. Most of the time, he wasn't those things at all. Right. Yeah. It was just his lifestyle. Yeah. I. It, so I think to Steve's point, the abstinence, letting go. Moving on, really trying a bunch of different things, expanding your world, and not not getting caught in the recovery trap. Yeah. You know, there doesn't need to be this stage between your drinking and... And living. Yeah, and living (laughs) where you're just in this sort of limbo of recovery. No, that limbo is going to lead you back. That's right. It's the same thing. Yes, it it is. It's like, it's move on. So, So know that... Your all of these circles can expand greatly if you're if you quit, and I know you probably focused on fear-based reasons to quit. I gotta quit because I'm killing myself. I gotta quit because my wife's gonna leave me. I gotta quit because because uh, I'm gonna lose my job or yeah, I'm losing right? my license. Like we can go on with all those things. And now, how many years have you been telling yourself that and right. not quitting or not right. staying quit? Right. Right. So we have to look to the positive side. And one thing that is like just I think kind of gets overlooked is just your world will open up and I know it's kind of an abstraction but your world will and can and will open up and that's a great reason to quit but to go back to what we were just saying a few minutes ago sometimes you're really like being singularly focused and not having your world be opened up right yeah and you maybe don't realize that that that's where you're at mentally. Right. And then there's a fear there. And I don't know if it's fear of failure. Right? I don't I don't know what it is exactly, but we're a little scared to open up our world. And um, you got to think about that. And whether those minor fears of going out and making new friendships or failing at a goal. I failed at a ton of goals. Yeah, me right? too. You know what me I mean? Too. Me too. Or, or whatever it might be. Um, you got to ask yourself... Whether those little fears are worth staying in this one thing that focused on this one thing, this drug, whatever it is for you, weed, booze, heroin, whatever, is is it worth staying going down the drain with that to not face these little fears? Because they're not so big once you face them. All right. right. Once you get out and you go do something, I went back to school at 29 years old. I thought I was going to be this horrible old guy that everybody hated <laughs> and i mean i was the old guy in the back of my head i was jerry blank from uh strangers with candy if you guys know that show <laughs> i yeah. don't with amy sedaris she plays a 45 45 year old woman that uh she dropped she fell out of high school or dropped out of high school and she was a hooker and drug dealer and all this stuff her whole life and now she goes back to school at 45. She's like in high school. In my mind, I was a little bit like Jerry Blank. But, like, I mean, I would come out with a weird story of like, oh yeah, I remember when I was living, uh, when 
I was living with this prostitute. <laughs> it would flow out of me, but it's just like, okay, that's who I was. I, right. I have these stories. And you know what? I was accepted, and I wasn't, I mean, I think people might see me as an old, weird guy. I don't know. But, but. It didn't matter. It didn't, it, yeah, it didn't matter. It was this big fear. Oh, God, one of the fears that people have is going out, and I see. I always thought this would be a fear for kids, you know, and by kids, I mean 20-somethings. But as I've been doing this, it's more and more and more like people in their 40s, 50s, 60s are afraid to go to parties and not drink. Oh, yeah. It's, like, yes. oh, I'm going to stick out like a... Yes. Dick. Go yes. do it. Yeah. Go to the party and don't drink. It really isn't that bad. One, The only person, usually nobody's going to say nothing to you about it. Um, except for the one guy that's really feels really guilty about his own drinking. Yeah. Like, oh, you're not drinking? Yes. That's the people his, that feel uncomfortable yeah, yeah. at how much they're drinking. Because yeah. I, I just yeah, recently had this experience going, you know, going away for a week. Mm-hmm. And I'm really good at nursing the same drink for several hours. Yeah. Who the heck knows the difference? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, what drink is that? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Nobody knows the yeah. difference. Yeah. yeah. So like who, so it face those little fears, you know, ask yourself whether those little fears are really worth staying, going down this drain with this yeah. one thing. And, um, but, but know that there's a great life after this. That's all I can say. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I tried a lot of different stuff. It did open up my world. Leaving. So for me, because I went straight from the single focus of, of drinking to the single focus of recovery groups. Um, it was only when I left recovery groups that my world opened up. That's why I wanted to bring that up. So like I can remember not having to go to meetings every single night thinking, what can I do? What will I do with my time? And, um, so I did a lot of different stuff. I became a firefighter. I drove fire trucks, you know, like who would have thought I would do anything like that? And it was a lot of fun and I met a lot of great people and I thought they were all drunks. That was my perception Mm -hmm. was that, you know, because I can remember my dad doing it when I was young and they were all drinking heavy. They weren't like that at all. These people were very serious minded about what we were doing. We were saving lives. I went through all the trainings um, you know, and, and then also going back to concerts and stuff, I realized that most of the people at concerts aren't wasted. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's so crazy, uh, to think that my percep, 